We're six weeks away from what is hoped will be the start of the Formula One season at the Red Bull Ring, and there's even a working calendar that has been put together with a view to squeezing in as many as 18 races in just 24 weeks. I'm Ed Straw, but the star of the show, as always, is Gary Anderson, which is why his name is on the podcast door. So how's things, Gary? Should we be expecting any wildlife interruptions on this podcast? We've had your dog joining in, and some listeners may have heard some quite pleasing birdsong in the background on some episodes. Yeah, no, there's, there's still a few birds out there, thankfully, um, chirping away merrily, and my dog is just under my feet at the minute, under the table here, so anything could happen from here on in, Ed. <laughs> All that's happened here is just outside my window. Someone's now starting to use power tools, so uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure if that'll uh, quite come up on the recording. But at least it, it's a consistent noise. Uh, but before we get into talking about the calendar, as always, we've got the opening question from a listener. So do keep coming with those listener questions. You can uh, send them to to me at EdgeDrawF1 or at Gary Anderson F1 on Twitter. This one's from Ed Valentine, which is: Will we see a return of in-race refueling, and how much does no refueling save the teams? in financial terms well Ed, it's, a, it's a good question um i have to say i don't think we will see enrich refueling because um you know we've been through all that stage and it would obviously to to bring it back again would sort of say well we made the wrong decision before however in saying that we do want to get this mix again where basically it's more it's more about the package of the team and the driver than just the car and the driver on a given day and i don't think it would be the wrong thing it would also do Two things. One, it would mean you could make the cars lighter because obviously at the moment they have, they have to hold like 110 kilograms of fuel, so that, that takes X space. If you actually stipulated within the regulations as well that the car could only hold X amount, then the car itself would be lighter, the fuel tank would be smaller, the chassis would be shorter in that area. Um, so it's, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger thing. It's a bigger than the decision of bringing back refueling. I think you need to do it for the right reasons. Um, as far as how much it costs, I mean, the teams on a flyaway race, let's say, the teams would take about 20 tonne of, of car parts and bits and pieces with them. Um, that's equipment and everything, uh, plus the two cars. Um, so it would probably add another tonne to that package of, of weight. But again, you could stipulate that, you know, you don't add another, another tonne. It can only be 20 tonnes. So in relative terms, it, could, it would cost you a little bit of shipping. The equipment itself is obviously... You know, I don't know, two hundred fifty thousand pounds or something for one of those refueling kits. Um, we don't want all the teams to make their own. We would want them to be a one hit wonder thing because otherwise the development costs and everything becomes huge. Um, so it's not the end of the world financially. It does bring in that uh, that bit of a glimmer of hope of of different strategies bringing a result to it. But I think it needs to be done for a for a bigger reason than that, really. And I don't really see it happening, to be honest. Yeah, I think well, it's not it's not part of the new rules, is it? So uh, that opportunity has passed, despite the fact it has had some proponents. Uh, let's move on to the, to the matter at hand. Now, before we get into the specific demands of the calendar, do you think F1's right to try and squeeze in as many races as possible, given there's financial problems and there's a need to give broadcasters a proper season to justify their spend and just get as many race promoters satisfied so they're paying their fees as possible? Well, I think they're right to propose a calendar that has as many races as possible. I would expect some of them to fall by the wayside just because, I mean, it, it, that's the way it's going to happen. We don't know yet the outcome of this coronavirus situation. So this is a, a, a good thing, I believe, and I said in one of the other podcasts, was that they need to get something on paper that everybody can work to a little bit rather than nothing because it's not a light switch getting all this stuff going. A lot of planning needs to be taking place. So at least this calendar does set the objective down, 
And if they all come off, well, you know, I think a pat on the back for somebody is required because they've done a really good job. If a few of them fall by the wayside and we end up with, you know, 12 or 14 races, we still have a decent season. So I think, I think it's correct to go this route, um, but not to expect all these races to really happen. Yeah, we should say it's, it's very malleable at the moment. We've got two races on July the 5th and July the 12th in Austria, then a weekend off, and then there's two races in Britain on July the 26th or August the 2nd, but with Hockenheim as a fallback. We've got later in the season, there's a, there's a possible uh, extra Bahrain race that will happen if other races drop out. So uh, there's lots of contingencies there. But there's also, in this current version, two triple headers, a blockbusting quadruple header spanning Azerbaijan, Russia, China, Japan. So in total, as we said, 18 races over 24 weeks. Do you think that's asking too much from those working for teams and I mean people doing the, the heavy lifting in the garages etc yeah it, I think it is a bit heavy going I mean I, I would imagine that the teams will have to s- split themselves into two uh, and one of the things they could start to do instead of I think it's 60 passes that are um, 60 mechanics that you can have go to a, a Grand Prix um, you know they should cut that down I suppose to let's say 50 I don't know a number anyway, and then that means they have a double shift. So one race is one group of people, the next race would be another group of people. Um, and that's the only way you could fair, share that out, really, because I think if you have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, a three-day event, um, which, you know, in reality, will start the best will in the world starts on a Thursday morning, hard work, um, then you've got those four days, basically, are tied up with a Grand Prix. And you've only got from Sunday night to the next Thursday morning to get everything moved to a different part of the world. Uh, that's going to be pretty tough. Those are the races that I think you might see one dropping out of here and there because, you know, up to that point in time, up to Azerbaijan, it's all Europe. Um, and Europe, you know, you can sort of handle it as one as one country, I suppose you might call it. I mean, I think the, the distance between two of those races is um, the British Grand Prix to, to Hungary is... Uh, no, Hungary to, to Spain is 1,197 miles. So it's not the end of the world to drive, even for the, the, the teams to drive, you know, two coaches, um, and you've got, you, you know, you get from A to B. You don't have to go through all the rigmarole of airports and stuff, and so you can keep it contained. Um, it's, not, it's not that difficult to do that, or it could be possible to do that. But I think once you start flying through airports in different countries to get there, then things become quite different. You know, if you have to do a stopover on the way to somewhere, uh, you might not be well accepted. Um, the Grand Prix itself in a given country is probably um, happy enough to put it on at some point in time or somehow, but then you, if you have to visit somewhere on the way, then it's going to be a bit different. So I would expect the European part of this to uh, up to the beginning of September to sort of be fairly well possible and on the way, um, and then after that I think we'll see changes. There's a few things in there to, uh, to, to break down. I mean, you mentioned three-day events, and certainly some of them will be three-day events, but they have also said two-day events are possible, and we understand there's an intention for at least some of these to be two days. How many of them do you think should be condensed, and how much of an impact would that have overall? It's going to be difficult, obviously, to fit everything in, but you have previously proposed a weekend schedule that allows you to fit in all these things, F2, F3, Porsche Super Cup, so where there's a will, there's there's a way. Um, but would you be pushing for as much as possible to to minimise the the length of the weekend, particularly when we've got two races in the same venue? Like, there's no reason why the second Austrian Grand Prix, whatever they choose to call it, should have to have a, a Friday session as well, should it? No, that's exactly right, Ed. I think you know the first race in Austria 
to get everybody up to speed. Should be a three-day event, get a bit more time for everybody to get their, you know, shake the cobwebs out um, and get rid of all that pasta they've been eating. Um, and then, as you say, the next one then for sure, you know, that, that can be a two-day event. I mean, you've done all the practice in the world. To be honest, you could you could cut it down to, um, to a one-day event. You could just have a Sunday, just have a qualifying and a race. We've had it before with uh, with races that have been where qualifying's been rained off. So you know the event. To to be honest, the event that they want they'd want to televise is just going to be a Grand Prix. So there is no reason to not to show up in Austria, have your three day event, or even you know even if you wanted to push it, a two day event for the first one, and then a one day event for the second Grand Prix. And that way you can cut down quite a lot on mileage. The Grand Prix and qualifying. You know, the way the, the structure is at the moment, I think those two both have to happen. But that, as we say, because it's been done before, can all be done in one day. So show up on the Saturday, end up qualifying on Sunday uh, morning and racing Sunday afternoon. And, you know, you can cut down the mileage so much that way. And and the, the amount of um, miles is relative to the team's expense. Um, because every bit of the car, every mile you do costs X amount of money. You know, we used to work out roughly about £1,500 per kilometre of a car going the season. It's quite easy. You just take, you know, the amount of money you spend and divide it by the amount of miles you do, because that's what it's all about. Um, so there's a huge cost in more miles for no reason. Um, and if we cut that all down on the second weekends, you'd definitely save a lot of money. And the income could still be the same, because you would still have a qualifying session for the TVs to produce, and you still have a Grand Prix for the TVs to produce, and you still have points at the end of the race. You still have a World Championship. So it's a good solution in there. Yeah, that will save uh, quite a lot of money that I add up um, over the year. Looking at a two-day event versus a three-day event in terms of workload, obviously people might look at it and say, well, it's a two-day weekend rather than a three-day weekend. You've saved a third of the work, but it, it's not quite that simple, is it? So although it will clearly have an impact and help the workload for the staff, is it enough of, a, of a, an offset, shall we say? Well, actually, the workload will be more contained. It might actually be harder just because, you you know, you can't afford to allow any time to slip away on you. So if something goes wrong, you, you have to recover from it a lot faster. So if you take, for example, now on a Friday, we have two practice sessions. Um, and both of those practice sessions, you know, a car will do maybe 30 laps or something like that. So if you didn't have the Friday, that would be 60 laps worth per car of, of mileage, you'd say. That's about 300 kilometers. Um because you know, its average track length is about five kilometres. Um, so you've saved about 300 kilometres. It's an asset cost-wise, dramatically. Um, the thing is, again, you, know, you, you, you should stipulate that the teams are only allowed into the track on a certain time, on a certain day to begin with, and that can, cut, can save you a hotel bill, because all the teams are struggling financially. I mean, you know, this is a big money sport, but the reality of it is it's all there for a reason. The sponsors and the manufacturers only put the money into it because of the return they get from advertising, and the small teams only put their their only are there only because of the sponsors. So there's, you know, once the, once the tap stops stops dripping and there's no money coming in, it goes out pretty pretty quickly. You know, those factories that everybody has, no matter whether it's a small factory or a big factory, they cost a lot to of an overhead to run. So um, you have to find a way, I think, of doing less miles having less time away, but still putting on the spectacle that is televised now, which is, as I say, qualifying in the Grand Prix. If those two can can be the same as before, meet the same criteria, then you've achieved something dramatically. And um, I don't think we need all this running around. Whenever you've got a, you know, a triple header, then I think for sure 
two of those at least, if not all three, should just be a two-day event because you know it makes such a big difference to to uh, the teams. You know, in a week, a day makes ma a massive difference. You know, there's only seven of them in a week, and we got the four the uh, the four race four header race uh, schedule. Then again, for sure, they should drop a, a day out of it. It won't really matter. You still for the two weekend the two day weekend, you still get a practice session, a good practice session, maybe even a bit longer than current um, qualifying and the race in the, the next day. So it can be done, and it's very important to be done. You just got, to, as I say, keep the spectacle of the qualifying and the race, and uh, make sure that gets televised and the income becomes more stable again. Uh, you mentioned this thing of rotating staff and you can kind of split the team and have two sets does it actually work though because there's a lot of great specialism isn't there every driver will have his own race engineer performance engineer you'll have the same guy on the front left corner the front right corner you know it will it will be a very very well knit team and although we do see a little bit of uh, rotation and there's there are kind of understudies as it were have teams got enough people to actually make that really work well, I would see that, you know, whenever we're sort of talking about splitting it, <clears throat> I would see it being a, a sort of, still a nucleus of the team that go there, the engineer and his data engineer, whatever. But I would see that then around the outside of it, you'd have your number one mechanic, but your number two mechanic, I suppose, would be a different one for the next race. So you, you, would, you would split, like, maybe out of your 50 people, that I say they should limit the amount of people going to a race if they were to sort of change 20 of them it would it would work out quite reasonable, and you can alternate that a little bit. You'd obviously have, as I say, your your main nucleus of people going to the race. The pit stops. There's always a surplus of people. I mean, maybe not quite as good as a team that's used on the, on a Sunday, but there's always a surplus of people that are um, that are there that can do the job of somebody, you know, as ill or hurts himself or whatever. So I think it could be done. I wouldn't say you'd, you'd switch everybody. You know, fifty people at this race meeting and fifty people at the next one. But I see you having, uh, you know. A, a shift, a change of 20 people or something like that. Because most teams do take other people to the track these days as well. You know, there's extra extra people um, available if something goes wrong. So you've got to be, um, you just got to work within the, the, what you can do. And I think I think it just make it a little bit easier on everybody, especially for these triple and quadruple headers. And I guess when it comes to cutting back from 60 to 50, while Formula One cars require a certain number of people to, to operate, there's also a big kind of engineering analysis element to it at tracks out of the weekend. So it's probably possible to knock 10 people off because they'll be heavily involved in that sort of thing, which you can do remotely. Obviously, the factories all operate during race weekends. So there's a way there to minimise the number. I mean, you'll fractionally slow down communication. It is advantageous to be there. But in terms of minimising the number of people, that'll help. You know, they've talked about teams not interacting in the paddocks to avoid the risk of spreading COVID-19. And straight away, if you knock 10 off each team, that's 100 fewer people you've got in the paddock, which is quite big when it comes to trying to keep everyone condensed and obviously puts less demand on hotel rooms, etc. So there's a big gain there, isn't there? There's a big gain. And also, you know, take simple things like um, not running on the Friday, just running on the Saturday. Suddenly, instead of having 14 sets of slick tyres, you could have eight, nine, ten. So suddenly Pirelli don't need so many people there as well. You know, you can change it all dramatically by just having a, f a bit less running time. Um, cutting down on the people is is important because, as you say, cross-contamination between one team to another. Because if this thing does rear its ugly head within a paddock of, of Formula One people, 
And if what we know about it at the minute, it seems to take a week or 10 days before it actually really does appear. You know, that's two Grand Prix could have gone past. That, that, that problem can be all around the world by that point in time. So you've got to do what you can to minimize the, the risk of cross-contamination. You've also got to do the best you can to, to monitor contamination. So it's a, it's a big thing. And the less people will make it easier for sure. But the, le- you know, the less people and the less mileage, everything works in the right way to save some money, reduce the risk, and, and put on the Grand Prix. As I say, you know, it's only the qualifying and the, and the race that we all really watch. Yes, the practice sessions are on, and I watch some of them, watch most of them, to be honest. Um, but that's because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an anorak. Um, so it's just m- making sure that you put on the, the real event and get it back up to speed again. And if that has to suffer a little bit on the way for half of, the, half of these races, then, you know, so be it. At least the intention is still there for it to happen. Uh, when it comes to the, the demand on the, on the staff, how, how seriously should F1 take it? And do you think F1 takes it seriously enough? And you think back to stories of when you were sort of chief mechanic in the, in the 70s, obviously that there's so many tales of you working 20 consecutive 24-hour periods, you know, <laughs> doing everything, you know, slightly exaggerated, obviously, but, you know, you were working ridiculous, uh, ridiculous hours, you didn't have curfews, etc. So it is possible to have that kind of stress, but I guess it's different times as well. So do you kind of come down and on the, well, we were able to do this sort of thing, so people should just lump it, or do you think the world's grown up a little bit more now and there is a responsibility? And also, you get the best out of your people if they're in good shape, as I imagine there were plenty of times when you were worse for wear simply because you'd been pushed so hard. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a very, very different time. I mean, you know, back in the 70s, for example, we used to jump on a, a blue diesel transit van about eight of us, which was the team, you'd, you'd drive to the Grand Prix, wherever it be, Austria, Germany, you know, um, and you get there on the Wednesday night, hopefully, get the cars all ready on the Thursday when the truck arrived and get the garage and that sorted out and all the stuff done that you needed to do. You start working on Friday morning and you were always, you always thought it was lucky if you went to bed before Sunday night because that's the way it was. You didn't have all this sub-assembly stuff. You didn't go into the truck and pick up a front upright assembled and put on the car or a wishbone, whatever. You had to sort of go in the truck and build them up and then put them in the car. So very, very different world. Um, and, the, the, you know, the curfew is a good thing for sure to, to get the people to be um, more alert, more aware when they are working because, you know, everybody needs a night's sleep. But you've got to push it the other way sometimes a little bit. And, you know, most of the guys will, um, you know, they're going around the world and a lot of the teams, the people as I did myself on many occasions, might have the odd little sip of a beer, you know, come the evening just because you finished work. Um, sometimes that gets to two beers. And so, you, you know, that, that always happens. So does the curfew work as far as actually, you know, man hours in bed, or does it work as far as not being at the track? Um, I think the curfew has to be extended um, for this, you know, it has to be, it has to be a longer work on day if this is all going to work with a bit less people. I don't think it has to go away completely, but it should be a, a little bit more lenient to work on a bit later, a bit longer. Um, I don't think anybody would really object to that. We, you know, I think at, at the moment it does mollycoddle people just a little bit more than, than necessary. And I don't think anybody that's involved in Formula One would be against a bit more commitment to get it all up and running again and make it all happen. Um, as I say, it's, it is just really the, the, the cross-contamination from team to team that I think would be my biggest worry um, because we are, you know, this is a worldwide organisation. Everybody's coming in from everywhere. So you've got to really manage that very well. That's the biggest hurdle. 
a little bit more work wouldn't hurt anybody, I don't think. Well, it is an exceptional situation, isn't it? It would be a different thing if this was being proposed to be the way of things forever because that wouldn't be sustainable. But, yeah, in the, these kinds of things, it's it, it's, ne- it's necessary, isn't it, perhaps, to put in that bit of extra effort. But the other element, as well as the general fatigue, is obviously these are real people with with personal lives, etc. And there's a great deal of uncertainty about how things are going to work in terms of, say, in the UK, people aren't sure about what's going on with the schools, etc. So there's concerns about childcare. Well, you know, all these things. So effectively there's also the challenge of potentially people being effectively away for almost the whole second half of the year which I know is it's difficult to balance up but this I mean you'll have been in the position as a technical director where you'll have had members of your team who will have had personal things crop up Um, anyone who's kind of managed people will have had to deal with this sort of thing and you have to balance up the demands of the organization with the fact that you have to treat people decently and sometimes things crop up that people need to deal with so that's that's a very fine balance, isn't it? You know, because you'll have everything from people who are kind of young, free and single and they can take off for six months and it doesn't really matter to those who are almost the kind of more reluctant travellers, should we say, who uh, don't want to be away and, and you'll have everyone in between. So it's it's a delicate balance, isn't it? It is a delicate balance and I think each team has to make sure that the, you know, the, the, the priority is their staff. Uh, I mean, at the minute, we've got lots and lots of scenarios going on where kids you know, should go back to school or shouldn't go back to school, and lots of parents worried about it. You know, the schools, in my book, if they're going to be opened, they should be opened. Then it's down to your your family to decide whether you think you're safe enough for your, your child to go back to school. If not, you can do the homeschooling bit, still continue with it. There are There is lots of parents that, you know, that need their child to go to school because they need to be able to work as well. So every family has a compromise. Um, but the, the main decision-making on that should be your 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 health because you know you don't get a second chance at that um so it's the same with the formula one team i think that each of the employees should be asked you know genuinely without any threat or or pressure you know can you can you join us up here join with us here to make this happen if not we fully understand we'll we'll find another way of you getting paid um you know for doing stuff at the factory so as you say there'll be a lot of young single enthusiastic people want to travel the world i used to be one of them um and it was great so they will they will go away um and there will be families that understand the situation there's obviously families working in motorsport that don't have kids or whatever so you know each each individual situation i think should be taken into account but it shouldn't be done as a pressure from each any team and that should be a stipulation from f1 as such that uh, these these situations you know, you might need to be a whistleblower. If somebody gets says, no, I don't want to go away, and the team says, well, look, you haven't got a job anymore, then there should be a right for uh, to be a bit of a whistleblower on that because if it's the same for every team and the same pressure on every team, then, you know, at the end of the day, you get a solution. Um, so I think that's the only way is, is to treat each family in, in its own set of circumstances and make the decisions based on that. But it has to be driven by the personnel themselves. Yeah, that seems perfectly reasonable. I mean, there are ways as well to give a little back, shall we say, because the cars are being carried over into next year. So the winter will be a bit unusual. So I don't know specifically whether this is being considered, but it stands to reason that you could have a winter shutdown. So you finish Abu Dhabi and then you have, say, you could have four weeks clear. I presume there's enough time to do that because although some new bits will need to be built, etc., you're effectively extending the season. So that that seems like a, an absolute no-brainer to implement, doesn't it? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's it's 
definitely a, a way of going about it. Um, Abu Dhabi, what's scheduled for December the 13th at the moment, so you could very easily have a shutdown as such till the end of um, uh, January. Or you could have a shutdown for at least the race team or all the people that travelled or a certain percentage of the company, you know, a shutdown. You could have two weeks off for some and two weeks off for, you know, for the others. So there's plenty of time there to, to build a, a solution to making sure there's a shutdown period, but still enough time, enough personnel there to actually make some new parts for this new season ahead, um, you know, because people will need them. Um, and it, you know, it might help McLaren's solution if they're changing to Mercedes engine. You know, they're, they're design team that don't go away, they're manufacturing people that don't go away. They could still be employed uh, working on the, on the shop floor to get their, their changes done. So there's solutions to every problem. You know, it's, it's just about instigating those solutions. And as you say, I think there's a six-week period there between the last race of this season and the beginning of February when you'd want to be, you know, going back in and wiping off the WD-40 you put on the car in the middle of December to stop it rusting. Um, you know, and get it up and running for, do we need a te pre-season test? Because of um, the way it is, we might need one. I don't think we need two, because other than the drivers changing teams, what's happening? Nothing's happening. So the driver can change teams, have one preseason test. You know, most drivers get into a new car um, or a different team, ten laps. They're they're reasonably well at home with it, so they don't need to go round and round forever. You know, a one a one test situation in, in Barcelona would be fine. Yeah, and with a, with a proven car. You can plug in a new driver, so you can put Science and a Ferrari, and you can focus your program on integrating him into the team. So actually, with probably a couple of days of running in those circumstances, he'd learn more than he'd learn with twice that or three times that with a proper new car run, particularly if it was it was to the new rules. So yeah, he's easily accommodated. The one thing I did wonder is, does that work with a team like McLaren, which is switching from Renault to Mercedes? Obviously, they've got work to do with their car. They've got a there'll come a point where they've got an engine they can properly bolt on and make sure it all works. And obviously that's dictated by when Mercedes is able to deliver components, etc. So that that's the one team that maybe could be in a slightly awkward position because of this. Yeah, but I think, you know, if you if you take McLaren as a team and you said to them, right, okay, you can go ahead with it, but you're only you know, all your all your travelling staff, anybody that, that moved out of the factory during the, the season um, cannot be um, at the factory between the last race of the season and the end of, J of January. They've still got enough people to do all that, get the car built. Um, there wouldn't be a drama in that because it's a completely different group of people anyway. Um, there's a slight overlap, but you know, not a big, not a huge overlap. And then you know they go to the first test. They, they maybe you give them an exception because they've got a new driver. Maybe they could take one of this year's cars. Maybe Renault would allow them to to run it. I don't know for for. Um, Danny Ricardo to get up to speed with the, the current car, but I don't think it's a big drama. You know, the, the engines all run. The, you know, they're in the they're in Mercedes cars now. McLaren are a professional team, so I don't think it would be any any great uh, consequences to them if you just had a shutdown for the people that have travelled this year um, and the other group, other staff could could stay there, or a percentage of the other staff could still be there, and you choose who it is, and you know you go around your people and see who wants to work through it. And then they have that time off later in the year or something. So solutions to everything it can be done. I don't think it would compromise anybody at all. Just you need to put the solution in place. That's all. How about the viewer and the impact on them? Obviously, 
everybody who's a keen follower of sports pretty desperate now given there's been so little to watch but is there a risk of almost oversaturation as not only will there be wall-to-wall formula one but anyone who follows any other sports it'll everyone's trying to fit in their calendar into into kind of half a year so it's going to be pretty quick fire isn't it and difficult for people to, to to keep track of it yeah it is it's going to be a lot of it there but again you know that's what the switch on the side of the remote controls for you can put it on or put it off it's your your choice if you want to watch something or not um obviously we haven't had any sport of any sort for for a long long time and sport i think is a big um a big thing in life just relaxes everybody that little bit to enjoy something they love to watch um you know not everybody can participate in it so there's a big majority of people out there that like to watch it but again as i say you can switch it on or switch it off so i think you have to leave that up to the individual person as to what they want to do um the, all the facilities are really good now at recording stuff so i'm sure i don't think it would saturate anything really i think it would just be there available to you if you want to watch it the thing is about the f1 that i would say and quite a lot of other sports as well it should nearly all be become uh, subsidised in some way or free to free to the viewers. Um, I think having them on pay channels now is limiting your... It's going to be a bigger problem than what it was in the past. Uh, I think you need, you need to be careful of that one and make sure that everybody can benefit from the what sport gives everybody because it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a situation now with the coronavirus where everybody needs a little bit of a lift now and again. And... Uh, it shouldn't just be for those that can afford to uh, to pay for the pay channels. Yeah, that's a fair point, and uh, yeah, a whole uh, a whole other debate. We should briefly touch on the fact that there is a there is a trailblazer when it comes to major motor racing events happening. NASCAR uh, ran its first event at Darlington on Sunday. It seemed to come off relatively well. Do you think the success of that race increases the chances of F one getting going as planned? Now we've seen that one major championship can successfully operate. They had a few minor problems, but nothing significant. Um, yeah, I think you have to give it time, though, to see if the NASCAR race did come off well. Um, I mean, the event itself happened, and there was an end result, a checkered flag, and, you know, everybody went hooray. However, um, you know, we don't know the outcome of it yet, because, uh, say, coronavirus is something that's a bit hidden. It's not, it's not an enemy that you can see. So I think it needs given time to see if anything can come out of that. You know, we could go to a Grand Prix, for example, um, you know, I don't know, Austria, and contamination go through the, the paddock, but it still wouldn't be until probably the British, the first race in, in, in Silverstone before we'd really know when people start falling over. So, you know, we, I think anything like this before we make any judgments needs that window of time to make sure it went off okay. So I think, you know, 10 days, maybe two weeks before we sort of really get a reading on was it a good thing to do. Same as the Bundesliga football, you know, it's all started. It's great. Football matches and goals were scored. But what's ha- what happens next? And that's the thing we've got to make sure of. Everybody's weary of, you know, taking away this social distancing and, and stopping people from going places. Um, and the reason is just to make sure that people don't get in contact with each other. But even people do get in contact with each other, it still takes time before the, the, before the situation becomes a bit of a drama. Yeah, and of course, I guess it's a little bit easier for, for NASCAR, which is basically a domestic series to run at a, an oval in South Carolina than it is to to travel the world for a world championship. So, uh, yeah, big event, but again, sort of scaling up for, for Formula One. So, yeah, interesting, interesting challenge. Uh, well, 
we do hope the season will will get going. Thanks for your insight, Gary, on onto that. Of course, when the season does get get going, no matter how many races there are, you'll be uh, uh, talking about it as it goes uh, along. I'll certainly be hoping to get to as many of the races as I uh, am allowed to. Um, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite, uh, that Azerbaijan, Russia, China, Japan uh, quadruple header looks uh, looks quite challenging. If if only because several of them you need to go through a rigmarole to get a visa as well, which could be uh, could be an interesting additional challenge. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be great when it does get going. Uh, you can read plenty of stuff from Gary Anderson on the race website. That's the race.com. And don't forget the hyphen. There's loads of stuff on there about the latest moves in the driver market, etc. Do subscribe to this podcast and our other podcasts, including the Race F1 podcast and Ringback V10s, which retails classic F1 stories. And check out our YouTube channel as well. So thanks again, Gary, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more on the Gary Anderson F1 show.